Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. As I mentioned before, we're doing uh, just spending a few weeks in a section in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. So we're going to have our Bible reading now before Ben brings the message for this morning. Um, but it is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a real church, the church in Corinth. So it's 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and we'll pick it up at verse 7. But since you excel in everything in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnest, earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty... You might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are, in, while you are hard pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply the need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. That is, it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Good, we're good. All right, we're going to pray and then we'll get into that passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we have the joy to be here this morning. Father, thank you that we can be in one room and that we can open up your word and that you can speak to us. Father, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to understand what your word says. And we pray, Lord, that you would transform us that you would change us and that we would be different people because of meeting with the living God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this could be the worst time in 10 years to do a giving series. You know, last week Ross mentioned, we've been talking a bit about here at Southside, that we haven't done a giving series for over 10 years where we've spent more than one Sunday looking at giving. And I think right now could be the worst time to do that. I mean, if you look around culturally what's kind of going on for us, it's pretty uncertain. You know, the lockdowns this week, if you're watching the press conferences at all, Josh Frydenberg, our treasurer, said that the lockdowns at the moment in Australia are costing us $300 million a day. And so what that means is the moment, the present moment is pretty uncertain. There's kind of a lot of fear going on for us in this moment. And when money and uh, this type of thing is uncertain, what tends to happen is that anything to do with money is criticized. 
Now, we watched that unfold as our boy Jeff Bezos flew into space this week. If you saw that, he went with, you know, he's the founder of Amazon, went into space with a couple of other people, and it was hugely criticized for the crazy amount of money that was wasted. Now, on the one hand, it's a bit confusing because like five minutes ago, we were taking kids out of school to celebrate going to the moon, but now when someone does it, it's under criticism. Especially, too, since you, too, can go to space if you want, uh, if you saw the tickets this week to get on his spaceship. It's only $28 million for a ticket. That's not too much when you consider the fuel and the food that you're going to need for the trip. But, of course, as we watch this unfold, that was largely criticized. Anything to do with spending large amounts of money in this present climate is going to be criticized. And any talk about giving away money feels crazy. So why are we doing this to ourselves? Why now? Why is it that now we're pushing into this topic of giving? Why are we thinking about the idea of giving in the present climate when so much is uncertain, when there's so much fear about what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day or the next year? Why are we talking about giving now and why should we give now? Well, as we dig into this passage that Ross read out for us before, We're going to see God answer this, and he's going to give us five reasons why we're talking about giving now. Five things for us today about why we think about giving, and we're going to see as we dig into this that giving is an important thing to consider, whether we're in poverty or riches, whatever the season actually is. So what does God say about this? Well, we pick it up with the first reason we're thinking about giving, and it's because giving is an aspect of maturity. Notice we pick this up from verse 7. He says, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. The first reason we're speaking about giving now is because giving is another aspect of maturity. Now, the the context here is Paul is writing to a real church in Corinth, and he's talking to them about what it means to live for Jesus. They've seen his death and resurrection, they are following him, they love him, and now they are becoming more like him, they are living for him. And this idea of becoming more and more like Jesus is what we mean by Christian maturity. Now, Paul writes to them in this verse here in verse 7, and you can see him kind of touching on this idea with the word excel. And he's encouraging them, right? Like, he's encouraging them, you're doing well, you excel in everything, you excel in your faith. You guys are killing it with your trust in Jesus, in whatever season it is. You excel in your speech. You're speaking like Jesus, gently and kindly, your boldness about Jesus. You excel in your earnestness, your integrity. You excel in your love. You excel in your knowledge about God. You excel in all of these areas. And then what does he say? Excel also in the grace of giving. Just like that, he drops this idea that giving is just another aspect of Christian maturity. Now, as you see that, I wonder what you think about that. You know, what what do you feel about that? Because it's almost like he's saying that what comes out of your wallet is as important as what comes out of your mouth. What do you feel about that? What, What thoughts run through your mind? Because for me, as I reflect on my journey in kind of my faith, so 12 years ago, the penny sort of dropped for me, about Jesus, and on that journey over 12 years, there's been some growth. If you knew me 12 years ago, you'd say a lot of growth, but there's been some growth in different areas, and and here at Southside, we've had the privilege of growth groups where we practice this, and um, 
in growth groups over 12 years, there's been this moment for me where I've been able to break up into small groups of two and three and talk about my journey in faith, my struggles. Now, if you've ever been my prayer partner for the last 12 years, you know that I've been honest about my struggles in faith. You know that I've struggled to trust in Jesus in good times and hard times. My struggles in speech, you know, in speaking gently and and kindly and boldly about Jesus. I've shared about my struggles with integrity, my struggles with knowledge, my struggles with getting into the the word and, and reading more about God. I've shared with all of those people over and over again. And if you've been in my prayer groups, you know those things are weekly cycles for me. But I don't know if I've ever talked about giving nearly as much as those things. All of those other things are like weekly cycles, but giving, you know, maybe if we do it at church once a year, if we're lucky. Now, why is that? Why is it that giving doesn't just, we, we just don't see it as another aspect of maturity? Is it because I just don't know the Bible enough? Is it because I'm not familiar enough with passages like this? Maybe it's external. Maybe it's that our world sort of creeps into my understanding of this, and our world says that what you give is private, and money is private, and don't talk about money. Maybe it's because I'm afraid that if I was to really share my giving, you would begin to see what I really love, and what I value, and what I'm spending my money on. Maybe it's something else. But whatever it is, I know that for me, giving doesn't fit into the same categories as that. I don't see it. I haven't seen it like that. But Paul says, it's just another aspect of maturity. And I got a feeling that this morning as I share this, I'm pretty sure I'm not alone in this. You know, if you were to think about it right now, what would you rather share about? Your faith, your speech, your knowledge, your earnestness, or your giving? I think many of us wouldn't say the latter of that, but Paul drops it here just like it's another aspect of following Jesus. So the first reason we're talking about this is not because we thought globally the timing was right, but because biblically, this is what it means to follow Jesus. There is an element here that to grow, to be like Jesus, giving is a part of it. So let's ask that question, do you see that? Do you see giving as another aspect of your growth to be more like Jesus? And do you practice this? Do you practice speaking about Jesus? When you're talking about your struggles with your faith, is this just one of the things you talk about? The first reason we see Paul give us, God give us here this morning is because, Christ, uh, is because giving is an aspect of Christian maturity. But it's not just an aspect of maturity that he speaks about. As we keep reading, we see the second reason. And the second reason is because giving is a test or a measure of our love. Notice this, in verse 8 and 9, he says this, I am not commanding you, he says, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. The second reason we're talking about giving now is because giving is a test of love. Giving is a test of the sincerity of our love. Now, I do love how he begins here. He says it's not a command. You know, many people think about this idea that giving is this obligation, this burden, that if somehow you do it, you will be right with God. He'll accept you if you give. It's not how you find acceptance from God. And here he makes it clear, giving is not a command. It's not a burden that's meant to break you. In fact, in this section, we see that giving over and over again is meant to be a cheerful thing that we do willingly 
It's not a command. Instead, he says it's a test. Now, what do you think of when you think of test? You see, for me, it's been a little while since school, so for me, the thought that comes to my mind is not exam. The thought is a COVID test. Now, if you haven't had a COVID test here this morning, I don't know whether to be happy for you or sad for you. It's almost like, what have you been doing over the last 18 months? Because some of us are up to double digits when it comes to COVID tests. Not me. I've had three. Now, the COVID test, if you're not sure about it, it doesn't hurt, but it's pretty uncomfortable. In fact, every time I've had one, I've kind of gagged, afraid that I'm going to vomit on the nurse going to do that. But, but that's happened for me, and then your nose kind of feels just not good. It's uncomfortable. But, but let me point the obvious out when it comes to a COVID test. Okay, when you go to get tested, you are not testing whether you are alive. Okay, you might feel like death before it. You might feel like death after it. But it's not a test to see if you're alive. Right? We, we know that. But it is a test in some ways to check whether you're sick. It's a test to see your health. Now, giving is like that. Giving is not a test to see if you're alive. If you give, you're not a Christian. It doesn't, it's not a direct line between that. right? We believe in Jesus. That's how you're, you're saved. That's how you are alive. You believe in Jesus' death and resurrection. That's where life is found. You're a Christian if you believe in Jesus, not whether you give. It's not a test to see if you're alive. But it is a test to check on the health of your heart and specifically the sincerity of your love. So what does this test look like? Well, if you thought the COVID test was uncomfortable, I think this is more uncomfortable than that. Because did you notice what the test looks like? He says there very clearly, I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. The test of the sincerity of our love when it comes to giving is by comparison to other people. Now, firstly, he begins, and we've sort of seen this, with the Macedonians. Okay, so context here. 2 Corinthians 8, we saw in the first five verses the Macedonian church. And if we remember last week, they gave. They had a rich generosity, where the title of this series comes from. And they gave beyond their ability we saw last week. And they gave beyond their ability, even though they were under severe circumstances. They had every excuse not to give. You know, we saw that, right? Every excuse, severe trials, poverty, any reason that you could come up with not to give, they had it. But what did they do? They gave. They pleaded to give. And they gave beyond their ability. And Paul holds the Macedonian church up. And to Corinth and to us, he asks this question. Do you love like them? Is the love going on in your heart, is it the same as the Macedonian church? Because that's what love looked like. It was displayed in their giving. Now, for me, that's always been uncomfortable because they gave beyond their ability. As we consider our giving, that is uncomfortable. But as he keeps going, it's almost like he says, well, you thought the Macedonian church gave a lot. Let's look at someone else. So it's a comparison back firstly to the Macedonian church, but then forward, in a sense, to Jesus. You see in verse 9, there's a connecting word between these verses with the word for, and it's pointing them to Jesus. And he says, for you know the grace of Jesus. 
Now, before we get into what Jesus did, very explicitly, you can see this here, that giving is attached to knowing Jesus. Okay, so if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, maybe you're on a journey, maybe you're discovering, maybe you, you know, you're exploring this, but if you don't know Jesus, let's make it very clear, don't give. We don't want your money. We want you to know Jesus. That's what we want for you. We don't want your money, so don't give. Giving is attached to knowing the grace of Jesus. But if you know the grace of Jesus, then what does this mean? Well, well, that's where he goes. And he says, you know this grace. You know what Jesus did, and he was rich, but he became poor. Now, this is speaking about the idea of what Jesus went through. It's speaking about what he had before he entered into the world, and Jesus had everything. He was rich in heaven with the riches of his relationship with the Father and the Spirit, He was rich in wealth, he was rich in joy, rich in happiness, rich in everything. Angels bowing down and worshipping, he was in heaven. And yet he gave it up and he entered into our world and he entered in, as we know, not as a wealthy king, into a hotel, but into poverty. He was born in a cave or, you know, an animal shelter. He didn't live the life of wealth and glory and honor. And as he became an adult, we see that he slept on mountains and in boats. And he did hang out with all people, rich and wealthy and poor and outcasts. But we know that Jesus didn't have a home. Jesus lived in poverty. But you see, the peak of Jesus' poverty wasn't his physical poverty, it was the spiritual poverty at the cross. Because when he hung on the cross with worthless nails in his hands and worthless nails in his feet on a worthless piece of wood. It was there that Jesus emptied himself of any riches that he had to become spiritually poor. He cried out, his last words were, Father, why have you forsaken me? Once he had everything, but now he hangs with nothing, physically nothing, spiritually. He's emptied himself of it all. Now, why does he do this? Well, Paul says it there, it's got to do with grace. Now, grace is this idea of giving. That's what it is. It's this idea of a gift, an undeserved gift. And it's undeserved because people throughout all humanity, whether we're physically rich or physically poor, live in spiritual debt. We have a debt that we can't pay before the living God, a debt that no matter what we do, we can't make right. So Jesus went to the cross to fix up that debt so that by his poverty we could become rich. This is what Jesus went through. And in this moment, what Paul is doing here is he's saying this is what love looks like. Love is seen in giving. That's what Jesus does. He shows the love that he has for us as he gives himself, as he goes from spiritually rich to poverty so that we could become rich. Now, why is this important in this passage? Well, it's to test the sincerity of our love. It's to say to us and to the Corinthian church, man, you thought you were loving? Look at Macedonia and look at Jesus because that's what love really looks like. So as we consider this, as we think about giving, and as we look at the Macedonian church and Jesus, what does this do for you? How does our love hold up to this? Because for me, it's uncomfortable. But just because things are uncomfortable doesn't mean it's not good for us. And so it's worth asking this question. What does our love, what does our giving reveal about our love? What does our giving show about our love? 
And as we compare it to others, as we look to the Macedonian church and to Jesus, what's this do within us? You see, the second reason that we're talking about this now is because giving is a sign, a test of the measure of our love. So firstly, it's an aspect of maturity. Secondly, it's a test of our love. Thirdly, though, as we keep reading, it's a sign of our authenticity. We pick this up from verse 10. He says, And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. The third reason we give is because it's a sign of authenticity. Now the the first crucial thing to understand here is Paul is raising money for a real crisis. We saw that last week. So you've got the Macedonian church in one area, the church in Corinth in another area. They're giving towards a famine in Judea, the church in Judea. It's a real crisis. And it's important to note that because desire in a crisis situation, if it's not matched by action, doesn't do anything, right? Like it doesn't do anything if desire, if it's not matched by action, doesn't do anything. It's almost like Paul saying, hey guys, there's people starving here. We don't just want you to say that you care for this church. We want you to give your money because we want to help them. You know, it's almost like um, earlier in the year, I think, UNICEF were doing this fundraising campaign for the crisis in India, and in our house, we gave, I think, $50 for a couple of ventilators or something to help that. Now, as you think about what UNICEF do, they're not, it's not a change.org thing, you know, where you just sign up and you say, hey, we really care about India. No, they need your money because there's a real crisis going on. Right In a crisis situation, it's not just about desire. It has to be backed up by action because there's people dying. That's the first thing to note here. And I think as we think about it too, as in our circumstances and where we are in Australia, I don't know what the future is going to look like for us in terms of a physical famine, but we are living in a spiritual famine. You look out across our world, across our country even, let's keep it there, and we see that people are dying without Jesus. If we say we desire that and we're not backing it up with some sort of giving towards it, we have to just recognize that people are dying. We need to help out there. So that's, that's the first thing. But the, the second thing, and, th- and this is sort of the heart of what he's saying, it, it's the, the sign of authenticity. He's saying, make sure your giving is matched by your desire. It, the desire is matched by your giving. You see, in the Bible, what we desire and what we say we desire is always connected to what we do. It always is. And when it's not connected, when there's a disconnect between our desire and what we say we desire and what we do, it's called hypocrisy. So here, to the church in Corinth and to us, it's kind of this question. If you say you desire to help out people in famine and you don't back it up by giving, you don't care for people in famine. It's kind of that simple, and it's kind of that confronting as well. So if we say we care for the poor, physically poor, and we're not giving to the poor, we don't really care for the poor. If we say we care for the spiritually poor, if we say that we desire to see the lost saved, and we're desperate to see people come to faith, but we're not giving to that, we're not as desperate as we think we are. Our giving and what we do is connected to what we say we want and our desire. They're both crucially important. 
And so let's ask this question, what does our giving say about what we desire? What does what we do say about our heart and what we really care for and what we're really passionate about? Giving is a sign of authenticity. So number one, an aspect of maturity. Number two, a test of our love. Number three, a sign of authenticity. Now, I know at this point, maybe there's some questions. Maybe behind your mask, you're angry. And, you know, I was grateful to see that this week we would keep the masks going for another week just for this very reason, so that I couldn't see your expressions in this moment. But as we think about it, maybe you're sitting there and you're going, well, I can't give anything that's going to make a difference. Or I'm not sure where to start in this. Or maybe there's even this question of like, okay, well, how do I do this? But this is where the fourth reason we're talking about this now is really helpful because it helps us understand the how and the why and the what of this. Because the fourth thing that we see in this passage is that giving is about what you have, not what you don't have. Notice this from verse 12. He says, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Now, I think this is so helpful for us. Because often it's in these moments where we go, but, but I can't make a difference. My money doesn't make a difference. I don't have enough, so I'm not going to do this. But God is not interested in the exact amount that we give compared to the exact amount that other people give. God is interested in the amount that we give compared to the amount that we have been given. Okay, now, I don't know if you've thought about this before, but I remember for me the first time that I considered this. I, again, about 12 years ago, I was working a part-time job and studying a little bit, and I was earning $200 a fortnight. And I, I, I was sort of starting out in my journey of faith, and I remember hearing, you know, talking about giving, and so uh, I had heard that in the Bible, the starting point is 10%. So I thought, okay, I'll give 10%. And I remember the very first time that I did that, and I got, to, I got paid, and then I was giving $20 a fortnight. And as I was doing that, I was just like, man, surely this is like the account fee. As if this is even going to make a difference. This might even just make whoever's doing the money make their life a little bit harder. And so I kind of wanted to use that as an excuse, but I, I kind of just did it. I was learning and practicing it anyway. Sometimes it feels like that. But what we see in this passage and throughout the Bible is that God isn't interested in our money compared to other people's, but in accordance to what we've been given. And there's a better story than mine anyway that Jesus tells about this widow who's in the temple collection and she gives the equivalent of 10 cents while everyone else kind of around her is giving lots and lots of money but Jesus looks to the widow and says there is generosity because the widow was giving all that she had God is interested in what we give in accordance to what we've been given so how much do we give well, I think this is why it's better to think about percentage than it is actual number. But to be honest, how much we give depends on your circumstances. Okay, so when you work through the Bible here, in the Old Testament, the principle in the Old Testament was they would give 10%. The first thing they would do when they get paid, they give 10%. Then in the Old Testament, we see that with every other collection that they would have, many Jews would often give about 25%. So it sort of went up as they went. But in the New Testament, the principle changes a little bit and it moves to generosity. That's the principle for us. So what does generosity look like as we consider how we give? 
Well, again, it depends on your circumstances. See, I've always thought that 10% is a good starting point as we think about it, but honestly, it depends on your situation because for some of us, 10% might be generous. But for others of us, we might give 10% and not even notice. Some of us might give 10%. It's the very first thing that we do when we get paid and we actually don't even notice the money's gone. So for some, it's generous, but for others, it might not be. For some people, we might give 25%, and that is beyond our ability. For others of us, we could give 25% and still live pretty comfortably. You see, it depends on your circumstances. For some of us, we could give 50%, and we wouldn't have shelter or food or anything. We might live in the backyard, but for others of us, we could give 50% and still get paid more than the rest of us here. See, it depends on your circumstances, but the principle is generosity. The principle is generosity according to what you've been given, not according to what you haven't been given. So as you consider this, as we think about this this morning, and as we push into it, what does your, what does your giving say about you? And are you giving generously? Is it time to think about how much we're giving again? in accordance to what we have, not in accordance to what we don't have. So number one, an aspect of maturity. Number two, a test of our love. Number three, a sign of authenticity. Number four, according to what we have, not what we don't have. And then finally, we see in these final verses, giving is a way that we can care for people. And more than that, it's a way that God cares for people. So we see this in verse 13. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much and the one who gathered little did not have too little. You can see there, our giving is a way that God cares for people. Now, there's wisdom involved here. It says to the church in Corinth, don't just give all your money so that then you're poor and the church in Judea are rich. I'm going to have to write this letter to the church in Judea about giving to the church in Corinth. There's wisdom involved in this. But the principle essentially is that God gives some people plenty so they can give plenty, and some people don't have it at the moment, but they might at one point. A way that I've heard it that stuck with me for years is like this. An increase in our income is supposed to increase our standard of giving, not our standard of living. An increase in income is meant to increase our standard of giving, not our standard of living. Because if we've been given plenty, God is inviting us to care for people in a way where we can be generous in that. So you see the principle there. God cares for people through our giving. So there it is, the five reasons we're talking about this now. Aspect of maturity, test of love, a sign of authenticity, It's what you have, not what you don't have, and it's a way that God cares for people. But as we wrap this up this morning, we want to ask this question, okay, so what practically then do we do with this? Where do we go with this practically as we think about how much we give and what we give and what we do from this? And I hope that this morning there is some practical things, but I've just got two quick things for us to do this morning as we move out of here. Number one, the first practical thing that we can do as we consider giving is to begin to be open about our giving. That's the first step for us. So let me encourage you. We'd love to encourage you. Be open about what we give and why we've gotten to that position and how we give and the struggles that we have in that. You know, I know it's uncomfortable. 
I know it makes us feel a bit uneasy. But this is an aspect of maturity. It is a test of our love. And as we do that, I think the best way to do that is in growth groups this week where we have the people that we trust. This moment is not to shame other people. You know, this is not a moment where we look at other people's giving and go, how dare you? It's a mirror to our own hearts. It's a test of our love. But we've got to start somewhere in this. You know, as I think about my journey over the last 12 years, I think now might just be a good time to start practicing this. Do we really want to get in 10 years' time to the same spot where we go, we, we still haven't done it for 10 years? Let's just start practicing this. And now is as good a time as ever to be open about this. So let me encourage you to be open about how we do this and how we got to that point. In a place of safety and trust where there's no shame or guilt, but a place that we can hold a mirror up to our own hearts and see our love. That's the first thing. The second, though, as we think about practically what this means for us, is we've got to pursue giving. We have to pursue our giving. It matters too much. You know, it, it matters too much to God. It matters too much, as we've seen in this passage. There's lots going on here. We have to pursue giving. But again, let me say this. If you don't know Jesus, don't give. We don't want your money. We want you to know Jesus. And secondly, if you're here today and you think, man, this is just another church that wants my money, another pastor that wants my money, if you're skeptical of that, if that's going to stop you from giving, give somewhere else. Give to another Christian organization. We don't care where you give. We care way more about your heart than our budget. If that's stopping you, give somewhere else. But giving matters too much to God. And so we, we got to pursue this. We do have to stop at some point and look at our budget again, or for the first time. We did this in our house in the last week, and it was uncomfortable. We've got to pursue this. We've got to think about this. And we've got to begin. And if you don't know where to begin, start somewhere. If you've given the same amount for a very long time, let's relook at that. Let's consider that. But giving matters too much. So we've got to pursue this. And we've got to do this knowing that we're doing this from a position where we have received the greatest gift in Jesus, where it was his generosity to us first and foremost that motivates us and moves us to being like him and having a generosity like his. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we consider this this morning, we ask for your grace upon us. We pray for us this morning that don't yet know Jesus, Lord, that we might know the grace that you've given us in Jesus, that though he was rich, he became poor for us. Father, we pray for your grace among us, not just in knowing Jesus, but also your grace in helping us in this. Lord, maybe for some of us, there's this sense that, you know, this is really uncomfortable. This is revealing a lot about our heart and the health of our heart. And we need your grace, Lord, to pursue a healthier attitude towards giving, a healthier attitude towards money, and a healthy, healthier attitude towards you. We ask for your grace in this. And we thank you so much that you're a God who is gracious, who doesn't just save us, but helps us in our journey as we become like Jesus. So we pray this in his name.